Top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. This is our first episode of 2023, so we're going to be taking a look at one of the most anticipated events coming up this year for baseball fans. Shane Barclay from the organization Japan Ball also works with the World Baseball Classic. I'm going to be talking to Shane about his business and about the WBC, which is coming up this spring training. Over the next two episodes, we will delve into the rules that determine who's eligible to play for certain nations and what we can expect to see in the tournament. Before we get started, I wanted to thank everybody who went to irishbaseball.org and did their holiday shopping for loved ones from the Irish American Baseball Society's merchandise page. My wife actually got me an Irish baseball jersey personalized with the name Doherty, one of the names of the Irish side of my family that I can trace back to County Donegal. I wore it this past week at the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, Florida to see Notre Dame take on South Carolina. For all of the gear you will need for the upcoming baseball season, head to irishbaseball.org. Right now, let's bring Shane Barclay back on the show. Thanks for being here, Shane. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Rick. Good to be back. So the first thing that I want to get to is that you have a focus on Japan Ball. That is your company. And you also have a focus on baseball in the East. But there is definitely a reason that you are on the Irish Baseball Podcast. So you have some Asian roots, but you also have some Irish roots. Why don't you just talk about that just a little bit so that some of our listeners who maybe didn't hear you the last time you were on the show can get a little bit of your background. Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, my mom is full Chinese ancestry-wise. Her family has been in the U.S. for a long time, since the 1800s, you know, longer than most European immigrants, but still, yeah, so I'm half Chinese on, on that side. Uh, my dad is half Irish and um, from County Waterford. And uh, as I like to say, anyone who says they're half Irish says they're full Irish. So technically I'm a quarter, but I just say I'm half Irish. And um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I'd say I'm Chirish, which we talked a little bit about in our last episode, but it's a big part of my identity. And I'm very proud of being Chinese and Irish. And you have the company Japan Ball, where you do these incredible tours to Japan to see NPB games. And you have one coming up in June. So if you could quickly plug that for anybody who's interested in seeing this brand of baseball that is getting talked about more and more every day, it seems like, especially this offseason, and get back to traveling with everything that's happened over the past couple of years, people are starting to get out there again. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. Actually, in June... We're doing a. We're going to a new destination. Um, our Japan trip will happen later in the summer, uh, but with COVID prevent, preventing us from being able to go to Japan the last few years, um, I decided to expand our portfolio a little bit, and we're going to Alaska for the first time in June. And uh, it's a USA 
Pacific Northwest tour throughout the state of Washington. We're going to go to minor league games around the state, go to Mariners games, getting some insider experience, and then hopping up to Fairbanks, Alaska for the annual Midnight Sun game, uh, which happens on summer solstice with a 10 p.m. first pitch every year. Uh, it started in 1906, and it's kind of, in my opinion, maybe arguably the best, most interesting item on the baseball calendar every year. And I'm really excited to go there just as a little treat um, in addition to our annual Japan tour, uh, which will happen um, a couple months later. So if somebody's looking to book this, where can they go? What's the website where they want to go to see some midnight baseball? Yeah, japanball.com. Get all the information there. You know, All of our tours are there, Korea, Japan, Dominican Republic, USA. So if anyone's interested in joining, um, yeah, please check out japanball.com. And uh, yeah, for the USA tour, tour bookings are available now. So I expect the Alaska portion to sell out. Um, so I encourage anyone who's interested to hop on there. Um, you can sign up for our list if you're interested, or you can go ahead and just book a deposit now if, if you want to uh, pull the trigger and do it. Awesome. So before we get to our main topic, I did want to talk about the fact that you do know the NPB in Japan pretty well. And this offseason has seen a number of players from the NPB sign with Major League Baseball teams. Obviously, that's been more of a trend each and every year. But now with Otani, they're starting to get more attention every time somebody does sign from Japan. Have you noticed this being a new excitement level over there for these MLB opportunities? Or have they been there? They're just more publicized now. Well, I'd say that in the U.S., I've definitely noticed that there's more excitement about the Japanese players coming over. Yeah, it's it's been just a steady build over the years culminating in Otani. You know, you starting with Hideo Nomo. Um I mean technically the first Japanese player to come over was back in uh the 60s and um that was that was a little bit more uh I guess borderline legal maneuver. Nomo I guess was too um but Still, I'd say since Nomo and then, and then Ichiro, Hideki Matsui, um, and now Otani, like your typical American baseball fan is pretty familiar with Japanese players. And I know there's been some that haven't worked out so well, but a lot of them have made a huge impact in the American game. So I think with the as the knowledge of the teams over there and the talent over there grows, um, MLB fans are, yeah, they're looking, they, they want to know who the guys are before they come. Whereas it used to be all of a sudden a name pops up and it's like, Oh, who's this guy? All right. I guess I should be excited about him. Now it's like, I want my team to sign this guy. And, um, and so that's, you know, I, that's really interesting from, from my perspective. And I love that more American fans are becoming aware of Japanese baseball from the Japan side. Um, I would say that they, it's always been really exciting for them. Like they, they love it when their guys go over to the States and um, are proving themselves in, in MLB, which, you know, I, even a Japanese fan will acknowledge it is the strongest league in the world. And they love to see their guys do their thing and, and kind of represent Japan and Japanese baseball in general. And with a guy like Otani and uh, Ichiro, they played on teams that weren't really, uh, you couldn't watch them on national TV in Japan. Like it, depending where you lived, 
you may hardly see them at all. Maybe only um, for an all-star game or playoff game or something like that. And then they go to the U.S. and now they're on national TV every single day and everyone is watching. And um, so that's that's been a huge uh a huge change or that is a huge change for the fans to be able to see some of the best players play every day, which is kind of funny that they have to travel across the, the Pacific ocean in order for that to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, that's, you know, just so the Japanese fans are excited whenever it happens. And even when a guy from a, you know, a player leaves to go to MLB, his team is not resentful. His fans are not resentful about that. Um because they understand, you know, the, why these guys go and um, they wish them well and they cheer for them just as hard as they ever did before. I definitely think that every baseball fan in the United States can understand the frustration of blackout rules for baseball games. So (laughs) I think they feel the same pain as a lot of Japanese baseball fans. So you have also done work with the World Baseball Classic, and we have the World Baseball Classic coming up again this year. Finally, another one of those things that was delayed or canceled because of the pandemic, but we're getting ready, and this one's starting to look very exciting because a lot of players are now starting to buy into this playing for their countries or playing for the country of their heritage. And it is really starting to build towards some incredible rosters. So as somebody who is sort of on the inside with the WBC, have you noticed that excitement? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think that this edition of the WBC is um, the most excitement I've seen leading up to the tournament uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, one of the, probably the main one being that a lot of players are committing early in their, in their big name players, um, you know, the best in the world, you know, just starting with, with Shohei Otani, with Mike Trout, you know, they, they're committed to, to playing. And um, when they come out early and say they want to do that, it catches people's attention. And, um, you know, I, I just couldn't be more excited. And, and I just read, uh, that that the Cuba um, team is looking to to have their MLB players. And if that happens, that would be huge. Oh my gosh, that Team Cuba would be a force to be reckoned with, and, and there'd be some major stars. And, and the amount of pride that they would have, and you know, the opportunity for them to all play together would just be an incredible thing. Because when you see these guys represent their country, it, it really it puts them in another gear. You know, especially considering it's happening during spring training. And, and that's my favorite part about the WBC is, is the passion that comes out of these players. Uh, once you put, you know, you're wearing your flag on your Jersey. And uh, if Cuba gets to do that, you know, these guys, it's going to be, it's going to be add a, a new element to this tournament. That's really going to add some excitement to it. And of course we were talking about the NPB and Japan ball. And in the past, this tournament has really served as a great showcase for Japanese baseball, the success that Japan has had in this tournament is probably more than any other country. Plus, some guys were able to make names for themselves. I remember uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka. Mm-hmm. That's where people started to hear that name. He started to become a household name because of the World Baseball Classic. And 
not only is this a great showcase for the game, the Mike Trouts, the Shohei Otanis, the list goes on and on and on and on when it comes to players who are playing in this tournament, but sometimes it's those players who rise to the level when they get there that really have the biggest impact. Totally, and I think, you know, just to to name a couple guys who I think a lot of American fans might already be vaguely familiar with at least because they were getting headlines in the U.S., and around the world, not just in the U.S., all over the world, last year uh, for Team Japan, uh, Samurai Japan is is what their the team is is known as. But they have uh, Munetaka Murakami, who hit 56 home runs last year, and in Japan plays 143 games, so that's you know 56 home runs in a shorter season. Yeah, it, it it's not the official Japanese home run record, but he passed Sadaharu O's record of 55, which is kind of the most revered number in Japan, even though uh, Vladimir Ballantin um, has the actual record, which is 60. Um, you know, Sadahar O oh is a Jap- Japanese hero and Murakami passed him this year. And that was a huge deal in Japan. Uh, he's only, I think, 22, uh, 22, 23. He's, he's young and uh, tons of power, beautiful swing and uh, has experience at the highest levels, um, you know, playing in the Japan series, winning Japan series. And so he's going to be a big star for Japan. And I would expect him to step up um, in this sort of arena. Uh, He's, I think, indicated that he'd like to go to MLB at some point. So this would be a big opportunity for him to, you know, to prove himself. And then um, Roki Sasaki, who got a lot of attention last year, he pitched the perfect game. And um, by Bill James's game score, it was like the most dominant professional baseball game ever pitched. And he's a young kid. That's just got, I would say at this point, probably the best stuff in the world. Um, and he's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, I think he had like 17 either no hit or perfect innings in a row <laughs> last year. I, it's kind of um, escaping me the details, but he had a run there to start the season that was just absolutely incredible. So those guys, and I'm sure, in, and then as you kind of indicated, you don't know who it's, who it might be who steps up and really and really makes a name. But those are two guys that I'm excited to see this year. This is either potentially going to be an issue or an opportunity for teams like Japan and especially Cuba. If everything goes the way they're talking about with Cuba, this is going to be interesting to see how they integrate players who have been playing in Major League Baseball into a national team that has kind of been together for a while. With somebody like Shohei Otani going to Japan and how how he has a special regimen about when he pitches and when he hits and all of that stuff. And then taking a Cuban national team, which one of the strengths of that team in this tournament has been that they play together so frequently. And now you might throw some major league players into it from what you've seen in the past, is this something that it takes teams a while to adjust to having these new players? Or is it just like riding a bike when you're playing baseball, just throw nine guys out there and you can make it work? Well, I've seen both of those uh, play out, right? So Team USA won the last World Baseball Classic in 2017. And they would be more of kind of the latter of what you're describing. Like, 
some of those guys did play for Team USA, maybe uh, at the amateur level, and maybe they were teammates. But but for the most part, that team was kind of thrown together. They do a training camp, um, you know, before the tournament starts. But that's that was really their only opportunity to really gel and play together. Um, I think they definitely did show they could play as a team, and um, they came together quickly. And that's a credit to some of the leaders on their team. You know, guys like like Buster Posey, for example, um, you know, Jim Leland was, was the manager, but you know, that they also just had crazy talent, right? You know, the, their, their team was stacked. Other teams oftentimes outperform expectations because they play a lot together and they have a lot of experience in international competition, which is a little bit unique in the format, <clears throat> in the format and the intensity. You know, I, I think that, Team Japan last time around, they didn't have all their MLB guys, so they didn't necessarily have, you know, the strongest team they could have had. Um, but they had a lot of experience playing together, and that's kind of something that they always rely on. Um, Korea also has a lot of experience playing together, and then these smaller teams, um, you know, the Czech Republic is one of my favorite stories of this qualifier um, qualifying uh, round. And they, they've all played together for years, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, part of the reason why they were able to qualify despite that they weren't the most talented team around. And so, yeah, you see both, you know, and if a team can have both, um, can kind of combine that where they gel quickly and like play as a team, but also have the talent that is some of these big powerhouses have, then, you know, that's a good recipe for success. We will continue our conversation with Shane in episode 52 which will air on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the United States, January 16th. For more on Shane's company, Japan Ball, visit japanball.com. And for more from the Irish American Baseball Society, go to irishbaseball.org. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 51 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.